May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. On the road, Jesus was batting a thousand, but now traveling from Capernaum up into the hill country above the Sea of Galilee, he's heading home. Jesus has been enormously successful in his ministry. He even healed a woman who snuck up behind him in a crowd, and he brought a dead girl back to life. So he was bringing the kingdom of God into this fallen world. But now he's headed back home. I think it's maybe time to taste some of his mother's home cooking. But uh, Jesus most likely wanted to visit his hometown, not simply for a family reunion. He wanted to bring the kingdom of God to Nazareth because he was intimately familiar with the struggles, the hopelessness of his hometown people. And he wanted to heal them and give them the secrets of the kingdom of God. We all have a hometown. That place where we spent time growing up, coming of age, discovering really who we were meant to be. And for some of us, that was a wonderful experience. But for others, memories of that time and that place are difficult if not painful. And if you left that place you know it's never quite the same when you return. Well, for Jesus, this is a sort of a homecoming. Historians think that Nazareth was probably a town of about 300 people. So it was the sort of place where, as they say on Cheers, everybody knows your name. And the stories of his ministry of miracles had spread everywhere. And when Jesus returned home, they had heard of his popularity. So you would expect that he would really be welcomed with open arms. Now, according to Jewish custom, any Jewish male could be invited to speak in the synagogue. And Jesus, a local boy, come home, is invited to speak. And at first, the reaction to his speech, it was amazement. It seemed Unreal. They were astounded. It, it wasn't a boring sermon. Uh, it stirred their hearts, their minds, their souls. And they couldn't believe how incredible this teaching was. And they asked one another, where, where did this man get this? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? However, the amazement at his words and power of this local boy that quickly turned to suspicion. How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Name all the guys. It's a male-dominated society. And then they say, and are not his sisters here? So those who gathered in the synagogue that day, they knew who Jesus was. He was a tecton, which is translated a carpenter, but really it could be better translated a construction worker. The word actually referred to anyone 
who worked with their hands building things. He was a construction worker, son of a very undistinguished local family. Is not this the son of Mary? Now note, they, they labeled Jesus not by his father, which was the custom, but by his mother. And while we might see that as a true representation of the virgin birth, in that time and place, it was just short of an insult to skip over naming the father as the head of the household, even if he was dead. The reference to son of Mary with no mention of his father would not so subtly remind everyone of the shaming gossip about Mary being pregnant before she got married and that Jesus was illegitimate. I mean, did anybody really believe the story Mary was telling about who the real father is? Bless her heart. Even the reference to being a carpenter would also be a reminder that in Jesus' time, carpenters often had to be away from home in search for work. And this really made them less desirable as sons and husbands and fathers. I mean, who knows what happens when people are not under everyone's watchful eye. He should have had the home field advantage when he was bringing the kingdom of God, but, but he just didn't. Jesus and his disciples, to think about it, they were very successful in the villages where he was not known. But in his hometown, they took offense at him. Jesus said, prophets are without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. Think about it. That is so true. The hardest place for us to share our faith, it's often within our homes in our workplaces, among the people who know us the best. So the people of Nazareth rejected him. And what effect did that have on Jesus? Well, he, he was amazed at their lack of faith. And his ministry of healing was limited. I want you to note here that Jesus does not throw miracles at people against their will. Now Jesus has been busy amazing people in Capernaum, across the Sea of Galilee, and even in the middle of the lake. But now it's his turn to be amazed. And he is shaking his head. And the reason he is, is because of the lack of faith he sees in his hometown friends and his family. And I think this is what John had in mind when he wrote, he came to his own people, and his own people received him not. Mark writes, and he could do no deed of power there except that he lays hands on a few sick people and cured them. I want you also to note this. Jesus cannot answer our prayers unless we pray them. He will only transform our lives to the extent that we allow him to. Jesus' ability to do great things in Nazareth was limited by only one fact. Nobody asked. Nobody bothered to ask, except a few, and they were healed. It's a shame, really, that the people in Jesus' own backyard could have been made well. 
But because of their lack of faith, because they were too familiar with Jesus, they knew where he came from. They knew what he did. They knew who his parents were. They knew his siblings. They knew him too well. And he could do no deed of power there. And so this is a very intriguing story. As long as we can relegate it to that time and place 2,000 years ago in the hilltop in Nazareth. I mean, we're very comfortable judging the people of Nazareth who neither honored Jesus nor were really open to his teaching. But you see, the problem is we are the people of Nazareth. We are the people, we've known Jesus all our lives. We're the ones, we have pictures of him in the manger. We've watched him go, we know his mother and father. I mean, he is extremely familiar to us. And so we might be tempted to look down our noses at the people of Nazareth for responding to Jesus as they did. But then we would miss a very important point. And that is that our lives are also marked by disbelief and subtle rejection of Jesus. I think we too are apt to restrict what we think God is capable of doing in our lives and in our community. What is it that's keeping you away from God? I think before coming to communion this morning, I'd like you to take a moment to let God's Holy Spirit direct your thoughts to the ways that you might be resisting, you might be rejecting Jesus, and release those things to God. The things that are keeping you from experiencing His power. I don't know what they are. Maybe it's some hurt or regret that you're not going to let go of. Or some grudge you're holding on to. Maybe it's something you're ashamed of. Some anger that just continues to burn in you. Some problem, really, that you just don't want to trust God to solve. What is it that's preventing you from experiencing God's power at work in your life? See, when we shrink back from stepping out in faith, all we do is shortchange ourselves. And Christ can do no deed of power in us. And we become what John Wesley would call an almost Christian, an almost Christian, living out the form of a godly life without experiencing the power. This story, it represents one of the few failures in Jesus' ministry. But it also shows us his human side. Like Jesus, we're all going to face failure at some point in our lives. Some of you might be feeling a sense of failure right now, maybe sense of a failure as a provider or some other form of failure. And failure is very hard for us because our society conditions us for success. But it does not adequately prepare us for failure. Now our gospel reading from Mark this morning, if you notice, consisted of two distinct sections. The first part of the reading describes Jesus' visit to his hometown in Nazareth. But Mark follows that account with the story of Jesus sending out the twelve two by two into the countryside of Galilee to spread the good news of the coming of the kingdom. He called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two 
and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, while these two stories are very distinct, each one of them is capable of standing alone, they represent such a vivid contrast to one another. I think together they put forth a very compelling message because the first is a story of failure and the second is a story of success. Sometimes rejection, failure, can be the springboard for ministry. The disciples are sent out on a, their first missionary journey in teams of two. Mark tells us, and they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So Jesus took his rejection in his hometown in stride and he continued his ministry by sending out the twelve, giving some very specific directions. He tells them what they're to take and what they are not to take. And so it becomes clear that Jesus wants his followers to go out in his name, but to go out completely depending on God's power, provide for their needs through the hospitality of others. Jesus knows when they go out like this, they're probably going to face rejection, at least in some of the towns they go to. Following Jesus, it means putting everything on the line. We'll find that, you know, when we go out, there's some people, they don't want to hear our message of hope. Does that mean we stop sharing it? No. Some people are going to ridicule us, and they're going to walk away. Does that mean we should stop sharing the good news? No. Because there are others who will respond to the good news that God loves them. And when we put all our faith in Christ, living into the assurance that He is the one who's going to act, He will change brokenness into fruitfulness. Jesus faced failure, but He kept on going. We can face failure and keep on going if we have the faith and the courage it takes to follow his directions. He gives directions. He told them to go out two by two, sort of like we see the uh, Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses these days. Well, why did Jesus send them out in pairs? Well, I think he had at least three main reasons. First, a partner provides companionship, strength, and protection. Second, a partner also provides credibility. Deuteronomy 15.19 says that two witnesses, two or three, are required in order to convict a person of a crime because a single witness was likely to make a mistake. For the same reason, one witness had less credibility than two. And finally, a partner holds a person accountable. See, a person is more likely to maintain their discipline and less likely to succumb to temptation when they're accompanied by a partner. And I said he sent them out with the barest essentials, one cloak, a staff. He wanted them to trust God, to provide for their needs so they can concentrate solely on their mission. Now the reference that he makes here to not being welcome is a reminder of what just happened in hometown of Nazareth. Jesus tells his disciples, then, and he tells us, his disciples, now, you will experience those kind of days. You will. 
Jesus knows that when he sends out his disciples, they're not going to be accepted by everyone because their message is radical. It's new. It's challenging. I mean, it was Jewish custom at that time to offer hospitality to travelers. Jesus wanted the disciples to stay in the first house they came to, not move around from house to house. Now, to those who refuse to show proper hospitality, he says, if any place will not receive you and will not listen to your message, when you leave, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. Now, I think that seems justified. It uh, was simply the disciples were doing nothing more than acting out a gesture of disapproval directed at the people who would not believe in the Messiah. But it all seems harsh, seems harsh to me, and it seems final. To reject the message is to reject Jesus as the Messiah. Now, I really struggled with this line in the gospel. It was challenging for me. Did this mean that the people in those places were lost? Did Jesus reject them because he re they rejected him? I don't think so. For me, the dust the disciples shake off their feet is the dust of unbelief of sin. And they need to shake that off. They've been around it and they need to shake it off before they preach the good news to the next town. But Jesus' offer of salvation is not revoked. The disciples just can't be weighed down with the negativity of unbelief. As they continue their mission, they need to be free to move in fertile territory and just go on just like Jesus did when the people of Nazareth rejected him. So you and I, we are to share our faith with those we come in contact with. No question about that. But I'll tell you, there is a time maybe when we need to walk away. If someone belittles our faith and mocks our Lord, Jesus is saying for that situation, it's okay to leave and move on. Now, we don't hold hardness in our heart for those people but if we come to realize that nothing we're doing is producing good fruit, then we leave them in God's hands. So they go. And their ministry is fruitful. No doubt they ran into opposition from time to time. Because we know from the rest of the story that Jesus would face re growing resistance by those who were threatened by his message. But that didn't stop him from seeing it through, from dying on the cross for you and for me, and for rising on the third day to defeat death and sin once and for all. And now under God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all just do ascribe might, dominion, power, and majesty, world without end. Amen.